0: Chapter One of the Silent House. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elena. The Silent House by Fergus Hume. Chapter One The Tenant of the Silent House. Lucien Denzil was a briefless barrister who so far departed from the traditions of his brethren of the long robe as not to dwell within the purlieus of the temple. For certain private reasons, not unconnected with economy, he occupied rooms in Geneva Square, Pimlico, and, for the purposes of his profession, repaired daily from ten to four, to Sargent's Inn, where he shared an office with a friend equally briefless and poor. This state of things sounds hardly enviable, but Lucian, being young and independent to the extent of three hundred pounds a year, was not dissatisfied with his position. As his age was only twenty-five, there was ample time, he thought, to succeed in his profession, and, pending that desirable consummation, he cultivated the muses on a little oatmeal after the fashion of his kind. There have been lives less happily circumstanced. Geneva Square was a kind of backwater of the great river of town life which swept past its entrance with speed and clamor without disturbing the peace within. One long, narrow street led from a roaring thoroughfare into a silent quadrangle of tall gray houses, occupied by lodging-house keepers, city clerks, and two or three artists, who represented the bohemian element of the place. In the center there was an oasis of green lawn, surrounded by rusty iron railings the height of a man dotted with elms of considerable age, and streaked with narrow paths of yellow gravel. The surrounding houses represented an eminently respectable appearance, with their immaculately clean steps, white-curtained windows, and neat boxes of flowers. The windows glittered like diamonds, the doorknobs and plates shone with a yellow luster, and there were no sticks, or straws, or waste-paper lying about to mar the tidy look of the square. With one exception, Geneva Square was a pattern of all that was desirable in the way of cleanliness and order. One might hope to find such a haven in some somnolent cathedral town, but scarcely in the grimy, smoky, restless metropolis of London. The exception to the notable spotlessness of the neighborhood was number 13, a house in the center of the side opposite to the entrance. Its windows were dusty, and without blinds or curtains. There were no flower-boxes on the ledges, the steps lacked whitewash, and the iron railings looked rusty for want of paint. Stray straws and scraps of paper found their way down the area, where the cracked pavement was damp with green slime. Such beggars as occasionally wandered into the square, to the scandal of its inhabitants, camped on the doorstep, and the very door itself presented a battered, dissolute appearance. Yet, for all its ill looks and disreputable suggestions, those who dwelt in Geneva Square would not have seen it furbished up and occupied for any money. They spoke about it in whispers, with ostentatious tremblings and daunted looks. For number thirteen was supposed to be haunted, and had been empty for over twenty years, by reason of its legend, its loneliness, and grim appearance. It was known as the Silent House, and formed quite a feature of the place. Murder had been done long ago in one of its empty, dusty rooms, and it was since that the victim walked lights said the ghost-seers had been seen flitting from window to window groans were sometimes heard and the apparition of a little old woman in brocaded silk and high-heeled shoes appeared on occasions hence the silent house bore an uncanny reputation how much truth there was in these stories it is impossible to say but sure enough in spite of a low rental no tenant would take number thirteen and face its ghostly terrors House and apparition and legend had become quite a tradition, when the whole fantasy was ended in the summer of ninety-five by the unexpected occupation of the mansion. Mr. Mark Berwin, a gentleman of mature age, who came from nobody knew where, rented number thirteen, and established himself therein to lead a strange and lonely life. At first, the gossips, strong and ghostly tradition, declared that the new tenant would not remain a week in the house but as the week extended into six months, and Mr. Berwin showed no signs of leaving, they left off speaking of the ghost, and took to discussing the man himself. In a short space of time quite a collection of stories were told about the newcomer and his strange ways. Lucian heard many of these tales from his landlady, how Mr. Berwin lived all alone in the silent house without servant or companion, how he spoke to none, and admitted no one into the mansion, how he appeared to have plenty of money— and was frequently seen coming home more or less intoxicated, and how Mrs. Kebby, the deaf charwoman who cleaned out Mr. Berwin's rooms, declined to sleep in the house because she considered that there was something wrong about her employer. To such gossip Denzil paid little attention, until his skein of life became unexpectedly entangled with that of the strange gentleman. The manner of their meeting was unforeseen and peculiar one foggy november night lucian returning from the theatre shortly after eleven o'clock dismissed his hansom at the entrance to the square and walked thereinto through the thick mist trusting to find his way home by reason of two years familiarity with the precincts as it was impossible to see even the glare of the near gas lamp in the murky air lucian felt his way cautiously along the railings the square was filled with fog dense to the eye and cold to the feel so that Lucian shivered with a chill, in spite of the fur coat over his evening clothes. As he edged gingerly along, and thought longingly of the fire and supper awaiting him in his comfortable rooms, he was startled by hearing a deep, rich voice boom out almost at his feet. To make the phenomenon still more remarkable, the voice shaped itself into certain well-known words of Shakespeare. "'Oh!' boomed this box at Praetaria Nihil in rather husky tones." Oh, that a man should put an enemy in his mouth to steal away his brains! And then through the mist and darkness came the unmistakable sound of sobs. "'God bless me!' cried Lucian, leaping back with shaken nerves. "'Who is this? Who are you?' "'A lost soul!' wailed the deep voice. "'Which God will not bless!' And then came the sobbing again. It made Denzil's blood run cold to hear this unseen creature weeping in the gloom. Moving cautiously in the direction of the sound, he stumbled against a man with his folded arms resting on the railings, and his face bent down on his arms. He made no attempt to turn when Lucian touched him, but with downcast head continued to weep and moan in a very frenzy of self-pity. "'Here,' said the young barrister, shaking the stranger by the shoulder, "'what is the matter with you?' "'Drink,' stuttered the man, suddenly turning with a dramatic gesture. I am an object-lesson to teetolers, a warning to topers, a modern helot made shameful to disgust youth with vice. "'You had better go home, sir,' said Lucian sharply. "'I can't find home. It is somewhere hereabout. But where, I don't know.' "'You are in Geneva Square,' said Denzel, trying to sharpen the dulled wits of the man. "'I wish I was in number 13 of it,' sighed the stranger. "'Where the deuce is number 13?' "'Not in this cloud-cuckoo land, anyhow.' "'Oh!' cried Lucian, taking the man's arm. "'Come with me. I'll lead you home, Mr. Berwin. Scarcely had the name passed his lips than the stranger drew back suddenly, with a hasty exclamation. Some suspicion seemed to engender a mixture of terror and defiance, which placed him on his guard against undue intimacy, even when some undefined fear was knocking at his heart. "'Who are you?' He demanded in a steadier tone. How do you know my name? My name is Denzil, Mr. Berwin, and I live in one of the houses of this square. As you mentioned, number thirteen, I know you can be none other than Mr. Mark Berwin, the tenant of the Silent House. The dweller in the haunted house, sneered Berwin, evidently relieved, who stays there with ghosts and worse than ghosts. Worse than ghosts? The phantoms of your own sins, young man. I have sowed folly, and now I am reaping the crop. I am—here his further speech was interrupted by a fit of coughing, which shook his lean figure severely. At its conclusion he was so exhausted that he was forced to support himself against the railings. A portion of the crop, he murmured. Lucian was sorry for the man, who seemed scarcely capable of looking after himself, and he thought it unwise to leave him in such a plight. At the same time he was impatient of lingering in the heart of the clammy fog at such a late hour, so, as his companion seemed indisposed to move, he caught him again by the arm without ceremony. The abrupt action seemed to waken again the fears of Berwin. "'Where would you take me?' he asked, resisting the gentle force by Lucian. "'To your own house. You will be ill if you stay here.' "'You are not one of them?' asked the man suddenly. "'One of whom?' one of those who wish to harm me?" Denzil began to think he had to do with a madman, and to gain his ends he spoke to him in a soothing manner, as he would to a child. "'I wish to do you good, Mr. Berwin," he said gently. "'Come to your home.' "'Home! Home! Ah, God! I have no home!' Nevertheless, he gathered himself together, and with his arm and that of his guide, stumbled along in the thick, chill mist. Lucian knew the position of No. 13 well, as it almost faced the lodgings occupied by himself, and by skirting the railings with due caution he managed to half-lead, half-drag his companion to the house. When they stood before the door, and Berwin had assured himself that he was actually home by the use of his latch-key, Denzil wished him a curt good-night. "'And I should advise you to go to bed at once,' he concluded, turning to descend the steps. "'Don't go, don't go!' cried Berwin, seizing the young man by the arm. "'I'm afraid to go in by myself. All is so dark and cold. Wait until I get a light.' As the creature's nerves seemed to be unhinged by overindulgence in alcohol, and he stood gasping and shivering on the threshold like some beaten animal, Lucian took compassion on him. "'I'll see you indoors,' said he, and, striking a match, stepped into the darkness after the man. The hall of number 13 seemed to be almost as cold as the world without and the trifling glimmer of the lucifer served rather to reveal than dispel the surrounding darkness. The light, as it were, hollowed a gulf out of the tremendous gloom, and made the house tenfold more ghostly than before. The footsteps of Denzel and Berwin, sounding on the bare boards, for the hall was uncarpeted, waked hollow echoes, and when they paused the silence which ensued seemed almost menacing. The grim reputation of the mansion, its gloom and silence, appealed powerfully to the latent superstition of Lucian. How much more nearly, then, would it touch the shaken and excited nerves of the tragic drunkard who dwelt continually amid its terrors? Berwin opened a door on the right-hand side of the hall, and turned up the light of a handsome oil-lamp which had been screwed down pending his arrival. This lamp was placed on a small square table covered with a white cloth and a dainty cold supper. The young barrister noted that the napery, cutlery, and crystal were all of the finest, that the viands were choice, that champagne and claret were the beverages. Evidently Berwin was a luxurious gentleman, and indulgent to his appetites. Lucian tried to gain a long look at him in the mellow light, but Berwin kept his face turned away, and seemed as anxious now for his visitor to go as he had for him to enter. Denzel, quick in comprehension, took the hint at once. "'I'll go now.' as you have the light burning said he good night good night replied berwin shortly and added to his discourtesy by letting lucian find his way out alone and so ended the barrister's first meeting with the strange tenant of the silent house end of chapter 1 recording by elena coco florida